There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 325. And today, we're chatting late season deer hunting with Brett Joy, and we're talking big woods bucks and how to kill a buck in December. All right, welcome to the Wired Hunt Podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today, as I just mentioned, we are focused on late season deer hunting. I've got a great guest for you today. This is Brett Joy. He's been on the show a couple times on Retfresh Radio and several years ago came on to talk to us about his unique approach to hunting bucks in the Northeast. He hunts in New Hampshire and some other areas in the region, but has also traveled across the Midwest and West chasing whitetails all over the place. So he's got a very diverse um, set of experiences to pull from and he gets the job done. He's killed a lot of really nice mature bucks, but he just recently killed an absolute unbelievable buck in December in the mountains of New Hampshire. Deep, deep snow, brutal conditions, and he got it done. I wanted to see what we could learn from this experience, what we could learn from that story that might help all of us with our own hunts here in the late season. So we're going to break down that story in detail. And then along the way, I'm going to kind of pick at him to try to learn some bigger, higher picture lessons. Uh, we're going to talk through ideas that can help you on public land. We're going to talk through ideas that can help you find deer in big wood situations. But we'll also look at different concepts and ideas that will apply to, you know, ag land, how you might be able to have success in the late season, you know, in the Midwest or the South or somewhere else too. So we cover a lot on the tactical side. And then also, and I found this particularly interesting, we spent some time talking about the mental side of hunting in the late season right? You've been hunting for months, possibly at this point. Maybe you haven't failed a tag yet. Things are getting a little bit glum. You're struggling, wondering, am I ever going to kill anything this year? Am I going to have an empty freezer this year? That can wear you down. That can leave you feeling a little bit rough. So we talk about how to deal with that, how to push on through those long, cold hunts and uh, and make it through the end of the season. So that is what we discussed today. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed Brett's conversation and his story and his experience, and I think you will too. 
All right, back with me now for his second appearance on the regular Wired Hunt podcast and now multiple times on Rut Radio. We've got Brett Joy. Thank you for joining me again, Brett. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. I'm I'm glad you had me back. Well, you keep on putting big deer on the ground and it keeps on catching my attention. So you're doing something right. I uh I gotta yeah, tell I you, mean, congratulations on this recent deer. Thank you. Appreciate it. So it's actually been a little bit since I've since I was connected with a big one. I've been after some you know shot a pretty good deer in the past and kind of getting really picky and trying to hunt the oldest deer I can find. And when you do that and you're one after one or two, you know, particular animals, it sometimes doesn't happen for every year. And it's, uh, you can eat a lot of tags and that's kind of what the deal with this one. It's been, I think since 2016 until, since I shot a buck. So three years coming. Well, I can certainly relate to that whole transition to getting really picky and how that can lead you not feeling tags. Cause the last few years mm-hmm. I've had, I've had some situations like that. Like this year, I've been after one deer in Michigan, and because of it, I've passed on more really nice Michigan bucks than I ever have. And I keep on mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth with, am I crazy? Am I stupid? Or is this is this worth it? Um, yeah, you know, I think a lot of that comes from just uh, the hunting, I guess, community. Um, I'm kind of the same way. And if you're okay with eating a tag, which I think – probably both of us are at this point mm-hmm. you know there's nothing wrong with it and there's nothing wrong with not wanting to eat a tag as well it's people are at different places and, and get different things out of it and for some guys they just start off a particular animal and they don't they don't care if they eat a tag and you know they're just doing what they're doing and that's the, the i think the unique and beautiful thing about what we're doing is everybody takes something different out of it and it's in it for a different reason and we should all you know, encourage each other when we decide to shoot the first year we see, or, you know, we go three years waiting on, you know, eight year old buck. So, yeah, very true. Yeah. Uh, you got to hunt your own hunt. That's what I've been exactly. telling myself and not worrying about what other people think or what other people's expectations are or anything right. like that. If, if it makes you happy and it's legal, do it. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I'm hoping that I'm going to get some of this. I don't know what you'd call it. Like, a little bit of your good luck rubbing off on me because you've been after one deer for a while and you got him finally. I've been after one deer for a while and I haven't got him yet. So if there's anything you can pass along or if you can send the, the lucky pixie dust or something through the airwaves to help me do the same thing, uh, I would appreciate that very much. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you say that because a week ago, I'm going to be looking for, for the luck you had last year because it, I haven't <laughs> sure. had much go right in the last three seasons until, until Saturday. So, um, you know, it just, that's how it is. You know, it can, you can have a hot streak and go in a tear and it seems like you can't not shoot a big deer. And then it seems like you can't do anything right, even though you're doing all the things you usually do and, and, you know, being disciplined and persistent and just sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Just, yeah. you know, I think if it happened and it was predictable every time, then it wouldn't be as, as fun and, or at least it's challenging and it wouldn't have the same allure to me at least. So yeah, you wouldn't so appreciate it as much. Yeah. No, absolutely not. So, so, okay, we should just get into the story of this years long journey. Um, but I want to, I want to ask you to bear with me because I want to, I want to hear your story, but I also think we can use this story as, as almost a template to talk about how to kill a good buck in December too, because you just killed an incredible deer 
in New Hampshire in a relatively unique situation compared to a lot of people. Um, and you did it in December. So yeah. I want to hear the story. I want to hear from the very beginning, from years ago, how this progressed. And then throughout, though, I'll probably poke and prod you to then take a step back and talk about, okay, how would you approach this kind of late season hunt if you were in Ohio? Or how would you approach this yep. if you were somewhere else? Or what what other things should we think about during December? How would we scout in December? And, and we'll kind of, we'll bounce yep. back and forth between your specific story and high level advice so that someone can listen to this and, and get some great late season help too. Um, are you game for that idea and that plan? Yeah, sure. Sounds like a plan. Cool. All right. Well then take me back in time into New Hampshire. Where was this four years ago? Maybe when the story started, how, how does the story start? Yeah. So, so as I've gotten, I guess, deeper into, I guess you could say my hunting career, um, and hunted more, I've, I've begun to appreciate the challenge um, of hunting in the Northeast, and particularly New Hampshire. When I was younger, I was kind of bummed out about it, and I used to get really frustrated. And don't get me wrong, I've killed some nice bucks, but man, you just have to work so hard for them, and traveled to the Midwest a lot, and had some, you know, some good success, and kind of fell in love with that. But then I just really, as I got older, started to appreciate these older animals that are just so so challenging to, to kill. So I've kind of, I guess you could say reshifted my focus back to, you know, my home state in New Hampshire and, and some of these older deer that are just such a challenge. And I really now enjoy that. I think more than anything, um, people are think that I'm crazy because a lot of the you know guys that are after big deer in this area will travel out of state to hunt. Um, not, not that they don't hunt locally. They do, but you know, they take their rep vacation days and head to Illinois or Ohio or Iowa or wherever. And I've kind of, took the opposite approaches last few years and and with that i've also tried to uh find some new areas to hunt and kind of stretch my legs a little bit we have pretty much endless opportunity for for hunting around here as far as you know acreage and, and areas uh, most of the land is open to to public hunting for the most part so um kind of all started with me wanting to get away from other hunters a little more than i have been and i do live in a pretty rural area with that same moderate hunting pressure but I really like the feeling of being alone in the woods and knowing there's no one within a mile of me. Like I really enjoy that. Um, and being able to pursue a particular animal with, you know, uninterrupted or, or getting messed up by anybody else. And I don't like sitting in a stand listening to a leaf blower or kids or dogs barking or yeah. the highway. So, so that's been kind of my focus uh, a few years back. I just said, I'm going to kind of look for some, some bigger areas of woods, public land and, uh, you know, some mountainous stuff. I love the mountains and we do have a fair amount of mountains, not like, you know, Colorado or Rocky mountains, but we do have some, some pretty good bumps out here in, in the East. So yeah. I started to do that, started to scout some new areas and, and I found a few areas that looked really good and, um, started running some cameras and, uh, found one particular, I was getting pictures of some good, some good deer. And, and this deer was one of them. Um, now can I hit pause? I don't know. Yep. I want to hit pause a little bit. And, and we talked about this, years ago when you were on the podcast for the first time, yep. but just for people that haven't heard, can you just elaborate a little bit more on how you try to pick a spot like this and then, and you know, how you're thinking about running those cameras to help you identify where a hot spot might be? Because yeah. when you're talking big swaths of public land and this is big woods habitat, mostly, right. Um, it's kind of intimidating yep. for a lot of people to try to break that down and pick an area to focus on. So how, what did your process look like? Yeah, it, it's extremely intimidating, actually. Um, you just got to dive into it. But I, I think I've kind of refined that process over the years. And 
and where I'm at now is I look for first, I, I try to get away from any population center. And this is not, everything I tell you is nothing that hasn't been said before by other guys, but um, I really try to get away from cities or bigger towns because there's going to be more hunters in those areas. And, you know, the, the land adjacent to those particular population centers are going to get more pressure. So I look for areas that have low human density. Um, once I find that, then I'm looking for big tracks of timber um, that are relatively unaccessible um, unless you're willing to, you know, take a boat or a canoe in a mile or walk over mountains or, you know, do something of that nature. So I really like to be, I say, minimal a mile from a road. Um, I prefer to be like two, two plus miles from a road. And um, one, and I like to get home. So, I mean, a lot of the, I could say base level or most towns around here are between, I'd say like, you know, 500 and a thousand feet. I like to be up, you know, 1500 to 2000 feet in elevation. And once you get in that deep um, away from a population center and then you get up high, uh, you start to lose a lot of the, the hunting pressure and the company, which is what I like. Um, once I have narrowed those particular areas down and it, you may narrow that down, but you're still looking at 5,000 acres um, I'm looking for really three things. I'm looking for any sort of early succession growth or there's a high stem count. Um, those areas have been selectively cut or logged, um, or clear cut even, uh, then I'm looking for swamps. Swamps always seem to have mature deer in and around them. Um, and then the last thing I'm looking for is like topography, like pinch points. Um, and so during the summer, I'm going to look for really that that early succession growth. So cuts, clear cuts, selective cuts, whatever is going to, you know, have high quality forage for these bucks over the summer. I'll run cameras there and hopefully get a pretty good idea if there's anything in the area. And then, uh, you know, I'll start to transition those cameras to scrapes and, you know, swamp edges and stuff like that. And then really um, where I think you can really figure out what's going on in the area is during the rut. Um, and then I'm going to run cameras on pinch points. And that's a lot of time based on topography or edges uh, that may be created by clear cut and mature timber or mature timber swamp or, or vice versa. Any areas that are going to, you know, concentrate deer activity. And uh, anymore, I really like to almost run cameras a whole year in advance of when I plan to hunt a deer or an area. And I think you learn so much. And you're able to use the information you, you you know got the year before in your next year's pursuit of a particular animal. So yeah. that's kind of how I've been doing it. Okay, so that's your game plan when you're heading into an area yep. like this. This is 2015 when this story begins, or 16? Yeah, yep. 15 is when I started scouting this particular area heavy. Um, ran a couple cameras, but nothing crazy. I actually traveled a lot out of state that year, so I didn't spend a ton of time in the, well, yeah, in the woods in New Hampshire. I don't think that particularly, yeah, I had a, I did, I did travel, I think I had like four, four states. So I didn't spend a ton of time, but I had the idea that I was going to try to hunt this area in 2016. So yeah, the, the first year I got a picture of this deer and there's a couple others was in 2016. Okay. So take me from there. So yeah, the, I got basically there was a, a few good deer in this particular area. Um, of course, when I, I want to stress for people that aren't familiar with the type of stuff I'm hunting, I'm not talking like a hundred acre farm. I'm talking a mountain range that encompasses maybe, uh, you know, 10 to 20,000 acres and several miles. So I may have a picture of a deer here and then him three miles away, but that's kind of the same area. So it's, it's 
kind of blows your mind to see how much these deer move. So anyway, in this bigger area, I was getting pictures of a few good bucks. Um, and this deer is one of them. However, there's two bucks that were looked a lot older and, and were frankly bigger um, that year. So I kind of, I didn't hunt that deer. I don't know that I would have shot him if I got the opportunity. I may have. Um, I wasn't sure on his age. I thought maybe he was a four-year-old. Um, but I didn't really target him. But I ran cameras and did learn a fair amount about him that particular year. I ended up really hunting another buck and ended up killing him. Um, and so that year was just kind of a learning year. Um, he was on my radar, but not right at the top, but just was aware of his presence and knew that maybe if he got older, he'd be a lot lot better deer and uh, just more mature than the one, maybe one that I wanted to really target. Keep it going then from there. So you kill this other okay. buck. Um, yep. How did it progress? So I killed this deer. Um, you know, it was a great buck. Um, I think that buck was a five-year-old buck. And uh, he was in a little different area than where this deer was hanging out, but their ranges definitely overlapped to some degree. Um, so, you know, that year goes great. I start to learn more about this area and realize that there's a couple other good bucks I'm interested in in there. And um, the next year, um, this deer was really, I'd say, was pretty difficult to pin down. I had maybe some pictures of him in August randomly and then a few in October. Um, but this deer just seemed like he was all over the place. He had a big range and he, and he liked to travel. So I never could get an idea of exactly what he was doing. I definitely would have shot him if he was the opportunity in 2017. Um, I think he was, I'd say five or maybe six that year. Wow. Um, uh, so, but I just, I, I was after another year that was definitely older um and that year so was i after him yeah was i running cameras or looking yeah but i just felt like i had a better shot this older older deer um and I, he was more consistent so i hunted him mostly um until finally in late november um my hunting partner ross Roberge and i mostly it was his idea actually uh we ran a camera on this big trail that came off this mountain and headed down into this bottom to like about a thousand acres of swampy area, more or less kind of bottom land. And, um, we noticed the trail several times, but it was kind of an area where you wouldn't expect a big buck to move in daylight. And, uh, but we, it was actually Ross's idea to throw a camera up on that trail and we threw it up and we'd check it periodically through the season, but we're going to hunt one day and we're going to go up the mountain and we checked it and we had, the big deer I was after, old deer I was after, and this buck in daylight crossing basically an old logging road, um, kind of going back and forth, back, you know, up top to the high ground and back down to the bottom. And that was kind of a really key piece of information that I realized, okay, this these deer in this particular area, in particular this buck is vulnerable in, you know, on this particular area during November. So um, that kind of really, and I hadn't had a daylight picture of this deer ever until I don't think, no, not ever until that particular time period. And it was, you know, he was moving in midday and stuff. So I was like, okay, this is good. I, you know, I have a shot at this buck. So I had him the, the rest of November that year in 2017, as long as that big, the other one I was after, um, didn't see or kill either of them. I think I was learned that information a little bit late to capitalize on it. So I really tried to plan to use that information last year in 2018 hunt this deer. And so, um, and so sorry to interrupt, but you, yep. it sounds like based off what I'm hearing and, and something that I've personally seen a lot, that these deer will often have similar tendencies year after year and that they'll use a certain area in a 
generally similar way this year as they will next year. They're doing something for a reason. And then you can yep. capitalize on that if you've got that intel from previous years, right? Absolutely. That's really what I tried. I mean, you know, if if you're trying to, I mean, I don't get me wrong, I do run cameras and try to react to what I get on cameras. But when you're hunting areas that are relatively inaccessible, you can't just run in quick and check a couple of cameras. It's, you know, it might take half the day or all, all day to do so. So a lot of the times you, you can't really react quick enough um, in the big woods to camera and tell to actually capitalize on that movement. So you have to kind of bank it and then plan for it the next year. So exactly, exactly what you're saying. And, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent. Like if he's going to be there that day, you know, the next year, but you yeah. can, at least you have a good game plan and you have, a, you know, it, it may be the fact that there may be the case that he's doing that again. So, and this was the case for that year. So, um, yeah, okay. continued, continued with that. And then, uh, Really last year, um, I, because I was starting to really notice him and, and he was kind of like real at the top of my list, I started to maybe shift him a little more cameras into the areas where I got pictures of him. I started to get him a little more frequently, got him in uh, velvet a lot more. Um, I got him uh, September, October. So I had him pretty much throughout the year. I, I figured out basically the core area of this buck at this point. Um, so I was feeling like I had a pretty good shot in November, uh, but him and also that other older deer was still there again last year. So they were like my top two bucks and I don't know which one really was the top one, but they were both there. And I was fortunate to have two really, you know, big mature deer to hunt in the mountains. So hunted those deer last year. And, um, I just, I sat in that particular area, um, uh, where I knew it had moved in November and, uh, <laughs> I think I put like 55 hours in one tree waiting on these deer and uh, we got a bunch of early snow in November and it prevented me from getting into that area. Um, it was a situation where I had to walk, you know, um, a couple miles and 12 feet of snow and, you know, 15 degree weather and then sit for 11 hours. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not practical. Um, when you're soaked with sweat and it's, you know, you're way back in there. It's almost a safety issue. I don't, I mean, it's, I don't want to sound dramatic, but you know, you, you can get in a situation where you're tired, you're drenched and you're hours out you know, from getting out of the woods. So yeah, it just wasn't, it was in a great situation. And, and actually that, the, the older deer actually walked by my stand on that trail the day, the day that I couldn't get in to hunt him <laughs> because Ugh. of the snow. So that was, that was a bummer. And I actually think that deer died last winter. So he, cause he wasn't around this year. Um, so that was kind of unfortunate. And then, um, a little bit later in the rut, I did get pictures of this deer that I, that I ended up killing, uh, in that area as well. But like I said, it was just a situation where I really couldn't get in to hunt this area after I'd say, I think it was probably November or like 20th or 19th, 20th, something like that was the day. So, um, I've found that in this area and a lot of the big woods the later and in New England in particular later November is really good. And it seems that's when the biggest deer are moving in daylight, um, the most frequently covering the most ground. And you're seeing them still in, in very late November, they're still kind of doing ruddy kind of things. You're still Ab- seeing them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I actually think that I, well, I do have some data to back it up, but my belief is that, um, our peak breeding is until around November 19th. 
So it's going to push it kind of shift everything back a week compared to maybe the Midwest or so okay. about a week, maybe less than a week, but it's later. And I think that because of just the way that, um, the population dynamic is here and, and the habitat and how vast and big it is that, um, these deer continue to look because it's not like they can check every, you know, doe group in a, in a, in their core air home range in maybe a morning or a day. It, they make multiple day loops. It might take them a week to check, you know, the whole mountain range or the whole swamp bottom or whatever. It might, it, it's very big. So I think that they continue to check these doe groups into December. Um, so it kind of draws the run out a lot longer, I think. And it's just a theory, but I mean, there's not, it's tough to say for sure because we don't really have any, you know, radio collar stuff on these bucks and there just aren't many of them. The deer densities aren't high. So it's, you know, it's just my opinion and my theory, I guess we could say, but yeah, I definitely see uh running activity well into November. Okay. And, and so November 20th hits and you're snowed out and that basically yep. ended your hunt for those deer then at that point. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty much what happened. I did get in, um, and did some tracking because, you know, you can track and you're still moving and trying to sit still. Um, and I did learn a little bit more about the area. That's one of the things that I, I like to do. I'm not a, a huge tracker, although we'll, we'll get to a little, that's a big part of the story. Um, but, um, I do think it's extremely valuable tool to learn about deer, especially if you can identify that you know you're following the buck that you want to punt or one of the bucks you want to hunt yeah you can learn in a day uh what might take you two years to learn through trail cameras or observation so it, it's whenever you have like tracking snow um it i think for the most part you take the opportunity to follow it um yeah, and not only that it's a great opportunity to actually kill that deer if you can get you know the circumstances good for you yeah this episode is brought to you in part by o'reilly auto parts who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy o'reilly auto parts offer friendly helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs i use the o'reilly by me it's right in downtown where i live and the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day 
into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. So, so I guess I'll wait until we get to the next, uh, the next yep. year to 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 learn how you use that. Then, yep. So, so this year, um, both as far as I knew, both those deer I thought made it through the winter again. Um, the Buckeye, the original Buckeye I was after, I think would have been nine or 10 this year. And this buck, I think it's seven or eight. So they were like right at the top. Um, the older one didn't show up at all. Um, and so after eh, pretty much in September, I figured he'd died over the winter. We had a, um, situation last year. We had no mass crop. Um, we had, like I said, early, early snow, deep snow and extremely cold temperatures. So, I really think a lot of the bucks went into last winter in really rough shape. And I think it took a toll on a bunch of them. I think a bunch died. Um, and I actually think it affected their, uh, health even into this year. But, um, so anyway, I, I believe that buck died. So really now the buck that ended up killing is kind of at the top of my list. And he's kind of the only one in the area that I'm really interested in killing. There's some other good deer, but nothing like nothing of this magnitude. And, you know, it's seven, eight year old buck, um, and a really special deer for, for New Hampshire. So we didn't really get many pictures of him early at all, which kind of worried me. Um, but then he, he started showing up. I think we ended up checking a camera that we had left like for a long time. So we actually had him in velvet, but we didn't know about it until even October, we ended up checking this camera. So he was around, um, but then he seemed to, to be around more than years prior. Um, and he was right in like the area I was hoped he would be, you know, that, that set up good for a, a November hunt and waiting for him to, you know, cruise that particular trail again. Um, and I really just didn't even bother hunting him until November, just because I knew in years past, he was so sporadic all over the place and, you know, no daylight really. I don't think I got a daylight picture of that buck hard horned until I think maybe I got, oh man, I'm going to say I got like three or four ever of that buck um yeah in four years so and they're all uh mid mid november to early december so i knew that was the time frame it was going to happen and i didn't figure it was worth even going in there and, and trying to hunt that deer until then so i basically took november 16th through 24th or so off um to hunt that deer and my plan was is to sit on that that trail or that, that funnel pin, whatever you want to call it. Basically the, the topography pushed these deer off this mountain, this mountainous area and into this bottom, this particular spot. Um, can, can you better describe just what that topography feature was that just kind of paint yeah. that scene a little bit more? So it's, it's funny because it's not, I want to, it's, it's, it's actually a little bit difficult to describe because, um, it's not what you'd really think. Like I haven't, if I were to look at a map, I wouldn't look at that, that area and think, Oh, that's a major pinch point of funnel. I wouldn't, it's just kind of, um, I think the quickest way between point A and point B really, it's basically like a point on, I guess a mountain where the, and the deer, I know that. So basically I think it really is driven by doe groups. So there's particular doe groups that, you know, live high up in the mountains and that's their range. And there's particular doe groups down on the bottom. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot in between for the most part. Um, so 
I think that basically it's the quickest point between A and B. So I don't even know that I, I'd call it a topography thing. Maybe that trail is there because it's kind of dumps off the mountain right there. And it's kind of a point um, that leads, I guess, directly to where they want to go. So this wasn't in it. This is why I told you, like, I, I didn't really pay much attention to the spot until we ended up throwing a camera up there and getting these pictures. Then I kind of opened my eyes and started to make a little bit of sense. But I couldn't look at a topo map or an aerial photo and say that's going to be a good spot. It wasn't like that. It was something that, you know, we had to learn through, you know, two or three years of experience and running cameras to identify this particular area. Interesting. Um, and it's, like I said, when you're sitting there, you're like, this is kind of a, it doesn't feel like a spot where it's going to happen. So it was, it was, but we had, you know, trail camera data to back up that it was. So, um, so this year I, I took that time off. I got to that, that spot on, you know, in the dark on November 16th, I pulled the card out of the camera that I had there. And he had been there a few times in that crossing already in earlier November in, uh, you know, after dark, but that was good. That's what he'd done in the past. And then like, you know, you get him in daylight mid to late November. So that was what I was banking on. So I, I climbed up the stand, got ready and popped the card in my reader. And he had been there, walked right by that stand at 20 yards, uh, the day before at noon. Oh, wow. So, yeah, the opportunities at these deer are few and far between. You might get an opportunity like that every year or two. So here I am at the beginning of my, you know, vacation thinking I missed the opportunity already. Like that's, it's, you know, that was it. That's what I was banking on. And he did it a day early and I miscalculated the, the dates because usually it was a little later in the month or even at the early December. So I was, you know, really bummed kind of like, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm going to hope he does it again. So I hunted him for, I had to actually had a, uh, um, death in the family. So I, I couldn't hunt one of the days, but I hunted, I think 77 hours dark to dark. So seven, 11 hour days in the one of two stands depending on the wind, but basically hunting the same trail in the same spot and, uh, did not see him. Um, I passed, I think three other bucks, one nice, you know, four year old that just really wasn't what I was looking for and a Mason three-year-old, I think a year and a half. So wow. 77, that's a pretty good indication for people that are trying to get a feel for how it is to hunt in the big woods is you sit in a stand for 77 straight hours during the best days of the year and you may see three bucks. Um, <laughs> would would you say that is your kind of go-to method for hunting a big woods situation like this? Like you find the right spot and when you find that right spot, it's just a matter of hunting it over and over and over and over again because you're just waiting for that one or two deer to come through and they might only come through once in a week or every two weeks. So you're not worried about overpressuring. No, and and so I I guess there is some consideration to take about overpressure. The thing you have to realize is in this particular area, it's not like I have does or little bucks hanging around around me all day. If I'm going to see a deer, it's going to be a cruising buck for the most part. So if I bump a year and a half, or he gets me and he's cruising. Well, I don't really care because he's not going to, the buck I'm hunting could be three miles away. Yeah. So if he blows and takes off, so what? I mean, yeah, maybe educated him for future years, but it really is not affecting the fact that that buck's going to come by. He knows that he needs to go from A to B. And when he's in this area, that's what he's going to use. So, I mean, I could be running a chainsaw or shooting a fireworks in that stand location. Um, but that deer, like I said, he's on a different mountain. So how does he know that, you know, that area has been pressured? Obviously I try to leave as little sun as I can hunt the wind and all that stuff, but I'm not really 
worried about that. I think that was something I had to get over because I, you know, used to hunting some a little bit smaller stuff and in the Midwest and I'm really worried about managing pressure, but you know, in the big woods, you, like I said, you may see three deer and neither, none of those deer got me that I saw. Um, so really you can kind of hunt the same area over and over again. I mean, I would definitely pay attention, attention to access. How are you getting in? You want to minimize the pressure, but it's not something that's like, Oh, if I'm burning the spot out, it just doesn't really happen like that. Just because you have such low deer density and the deer we do have recovering, yeah. you know, miles and miles and miles. So it's a little bit different situation. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. All right. That is the, the main tactic. I think it's really, if you're not hunting them on the ground, uh, which is kind of what, you know, a really good way to hunt them uh, in the big woods or tracking. I think that's the way to do it is, is putting your time in, in that area. If you're bouncing around, there's a pretty good chance you're going to miss them. Yeah. Um, you know, when he comes by, because like I said, it may happen once a year. They're just going to walk by there in daylight. Right. So. Wow. Okay. So you put in your, your 77 hours on stand. Yep. You saw three good bucks, but not the one you were after. Right. So then the last day I just, I wasn't feeling it. Um, I, we had sat till about noon. Um, and I kind of noticed that a lot of the activity was usually morning to like one o'clock and then the afternoons were kind of slow. Um, and I just, it was the last day and I was like, I hadn't checked any cameras. I hadn't done any scouting. I've been in this tree for more or less eight straight days. And I'm like, I got to do something. I got to figure something out. I just don't want to sit here anymore. It's the last day. And I, I kind of was like, well, if it didn't happen by now, it's probably not going to happen in the next four hours. So I decided to get down and just do a little scouting, check a few cameras. Um, and hopefully that it would give me some information to hunt him you know, even later in the rut or early December. Um, so I actually checked a camera that was about a hundred yards from where I was sitting. And he had walked by that camera again on the 16th at 2 PM. Wow. And I don't know how I didn't see him. He was like within a hundred yards of me. It looked like his direction of travel and camera would have led him by me or at least I <laughs> didn't see him. So here I am like, oh, I'm definitely, it's over. Like I had two opportunities kind of, to, you know, figured out that he was going to be right here during this time frame, and just didn't happen. So I thought it was pretty much done. Um, I was pretty kind of bummed and like, man, so close again. Um, so after that, it, it, I know that typically it's pretty tough um, because all the bucks are still like, you know, doing rut based activity. They're not, as I call it in zombie mode, zombie mode for me is when deer are just like marching around all hours of the day, you know, through open areas, like with no regard to much of anything. Um, but that kind of seems to end right around Thanksgiving, you know, 25th of, of November. So it starts to get a little tougher. It's, it's definitely doable and there's still some daylight activity, but it's more focused, I think, around first thing in the morning and, and last light and, you know, around food sources, bedding areas, that type of thing, not on these big funnels. So um, I knew my chances went down significantly. Um, so I figured, you know, well, we'll just, I had to go back to work. Um, the next weekend, you know, we're, we were actually filming this this whole season for a project, um, I actually didn't have anybody to film, so I couldn't hunt really the Thanksgiving time frame, which I was kind of bummed about. So I ended up checking a couple of cameras, um, and I found that he had seemed to have moved into this lower land area that um, we actually got him over the summer in. And it made a lot of sense because there was some good browse down there. Um, it was not as harsh of conditions as like, you know, 1,000 or 1,500 feet above that area. So less snow, a little bit warmer. Um, there's kind of like a river that goes through there as well. So a little more favorable late season 
area, I guess you could say. And so I, that kind of was a really interesting piece of information. I was like, well, maybe he's in here. That would make a lot of sense. Um, and so I kind of just said, well, I'm going to plan, I'm going to assume he is in here and we're, I'm going to make a plan to hunt in here. So, um, and that wasn't daylight too, which was really encouraging. So it's not just one of these things where he was out moving, you know, at night or whatever, chasing does and, and, uh, just happened to get a picture of him. He was yeah. actually just kind of taking his time. So that was really encouraging. Um, then the next day we've got about two feet of snow. And this is like November 29th or something like that. 23rd, yep. somewhere in that exactly. ballpark. Yep. 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 Um, and I think we got the snow and I don't know what day it was. It must've been, I guess it was a week or so ago. Um, and so I didn't know what that would do. I didn't know if, uh, it would kind of lock him into a particular area because he didn't want to go far. Um, he's already been running for, you know, at least six, four to five weeks. So I figured maybe he's in survival mode. He just wants to get with some does in a, a favorable area for, you know, winter conditions and hang out there. I didn't know what to expect, but I hoped that he was in that area um, and, and would stick pretty tight. So that week, you know, last week I was thinking about, you know, just running through everything in my head. Where's this deer going to be? You know, how can I kill him? Like, uh, you know, this is, I was so close and like kind of disappointed, but like still like, okay, I got to stay at, stay after him and kind of use any, anything that I can to, to try to get him down. And so, um, snow came, it was cold. It was, you know, pretty, pretty harsh conditions. And so I kind of made a plan that, well, Hey, you know, I have this fresh snow and I could only hunt, you know, weekends now cause I'm back to work. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to kill this buck. So made a plan to basically sleep in on Saturday morning, which is I think the seventh. Uh, I say sleep in, just not get up at you know three o'clock to get right. way back in there. I got a uh, I got a snow machine or snowmobile to get into this area, um, get me a lot closer because it was. But it would have been another situation where I have to walk two to three miles to get there. So that was huge. Getting that a buddy let me borrow that, so was able to get that figured out, get in there. Um, into at least in the, in the vicinity of this deer. Um, and then the plan was to go and check these cameras. I, I guess I forgot to mention, I had put out a few more cameras that day where I got his picture trying to, you know, get an idea of, okay, well, he's here. So let's, you know, put the camera down, make the camera density a little higher in this area to try to pick him up again. So, um, the plan was is to go in there, like kind of after first light, uh, evaluate the sign we saw going in uh, deer tracks, see if the deer are actually, they were hanging out in this area. Um, check some cameras, um, and kind of make a plan. We were going to probably sit the rest of the day if the deer was in there and it looked like there was a good sign. But, but we had gotten two inches of fresh snow on top of that. You know, I don't know how much it was. It was somewhere between 15 inches and two feet of what we got. It varied based on the elevation and whatnot. But, um, when we got that two inches, I was like, well, now the tracking is in play because, um, we have fresh snow and, and this is gun season now too, right? Yeah. This is the second to last day of our rifle season. So our God. rifle season ended Sunday, the, uh, the eighth. So it was kind of like, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible to kill a buck with a bow in the big woods, but it gets definitely more, you know, way more challenging without, without a rifle. Um, yeah. so anyway, I, I, we snuck into this area. I was seeing really good, a lot of tracks and a lot of sign going in there. Um, so that was encouraging. And basically we got to one of the first cameras and I see a, you know, a fresh track in front of it and check the camera. And 
I'm going through the pictures and there's like bobcats and like coyotes and like nothing on this camera at all the whole week. But I know this deer walked in front of him, so I'm waiting to get to this picture. And he had walked by that camera at 5:30 that morning. Wow. So I have I, I have confirmation that it's him. He's in there, and I have his fresh track. So <laughs> That's amazing. It was a pretty easy decision that I was going to be tracking that day and not sitting in a stand. And usually, like I said, I don't do it often. Only when I have a situation like this, and it's a no-brainer. Um, so I, I made, you know, I was like, oh, we're, we're going after him. That's, you know, it's late in the season. We have snow. It's a, it's a golden opportunity. And if it doesn't happen today, um, it might not happen. And, and he was only on that camera that morning. He was on any other cameras that I had in that area. So interesting. And, and that doesn't mean that he wasn't there because it's hard to, you yeah. know, in the big woods to, to get him every time he comes through. But it, it wasn't something where I was like, oh man, this is a smoke and I, spot he's he's hanging out and we got to sit here um so it was it was kind of like a no-brainer track this buck so i took up the track and uh i mean we can get into the the details of that if you'd like or yes i I want i want the details on how you go about tracking deer like that in the snow because it's one of those things that i've always been intrigued by i have never tried to do i've never had a big enough area um and picked up a big track in the same time to be able to pull it off. So walk me through your mindset, walk me through what you were looking for, you know, when you were going fast, when you're slowing down, yep. what was the, what was the plan? So I'll start by saying this. I am not a very experienced tracker. I'd say that, you know, I have probably more experience than maybe you, cause you haven't ever done it. I've tracked deer in the past. I grew, around, I grew up in you know this area. So we have snow early and, you know, lots of, lots of ground to chase on, but it's not something that I, I count on because you don't always have tracking snow. So it's not like I'm banging on snow and if we don't get it, then I'm, you know, out of luck. So, but I've fused it, you know, when appropriate, and this is one of those times. And, you know, if you want to talk about like the tactics and the intricacies of tracking, you know, you talk to the Benoits or Hal Blood or one of those guys, um, uh, obviously those are the experts on it, but I've, you know, I know enough to be dangerous as I guess you could say. Um, so, I guess my, my, well, the funny thing is, is right next to that camera, about 15 yards away, he had actually bedded down right after he walked by that camera. Wow. And yeah. And I, so I found his fresh bed and I actually thought we bumped him out of it when we got there because he was running and I'm like, man, I, uh, I'm like, how could we have known? I mean, I just kind of like, I was kind of bummed because I'm like, man, we could have snuck up on him, but like, how do you know that he's bedded right next to your camera? How do you know that, you know, you just don't know. So I was kind of like, man, did we, did I just miss another opportunity to kill this buck? Like, ah, so I'm like, well, we have his track. It's like, you know, 830 in the morning by this, at this point we have all day. Let's just give it our best shot. And usually ideal track in snow is something like, you know, four to six inches of fresh stuff where you can really make out defined tracks. Um, it's not, I guess, uh, hindering your ability to cover ground because we had so much snow that it actually was, it was a challenge to even get around. It was one of the, we were at the point where it was like considering snowshoes. So it was, it was a challenge. And when you get that much snow, you really can't see for the most part, the track you're following. You can't identify it. It's really tough to make it out. It just looks like, you know, I don't know, like you were a ski pole and two feet of powder and pull it out. There's nothing behind you. You're like, what am I looking at here? So then you start to look at, you know, the, the, with the stride length, um, the behavior of the deer, that type of thing. Um, so I knew this buck was running and, but then I started to see other deer tracks and I thought to myself, man, did he chase off a small buck? Is he chasing doe stuff? I wasn't sure. We followed him probably a mile 
not really knowing if he was way ahead of us, if he was, you know, we were right behind him, if he was chasing those, if I bumped him, trying to figure it out. It's just tough in that, you know, that deep snow to really know what's going on. And finally, after, I mean, I don't know, it must have been an hour and a half, an hour and about a mile tracking him. We, I just decided this duck bucks chasing does. And there's no way that we bumped him and continued to bump him. I, he's chasing does, which was kind of crazy to me because it's probably 10 degrees. It's December 7th. He's been running for six weeks and there's two feet of snow. Like <laughs> it doesn't seem like a, uh, uh, a smart move, I guess, to be running that hard to me. And in those conditions for a mature buck, like, I'm like this guy's going to run himself to death if he keeps this up. I'm thinking so. Anyway, we, it was, uh, had, we had a hell of, hell of a time to tell me that he was still in this group. I think he was chasing about three does for, you know, a mature doe and two fawns, tough to tell. Um, we followed him for a while and in the does, and finally they had slowed down and went up on this kind of the spine on a ridge. And I figured, okay, then they might be here. We need to really slow down. Um, for the most part, we were going at a moderate pace, I'd say just because I wasn't sure if, you know, it's like, do we need to stop and let this deer calm down because you jumped him and go back about his normal activities? Or do we need to make up distance because this buck's running does and he's two miles away? It's stuff. Right. We're trying to make that determination. And so they slowed down. And so, so we slowed down, but they didn't slow down for like a very long period of time. It was a short distance. But anyway, unfortunately, the one was really bad for our approach on this ridge. And um, we definitely wind bumped them. We got to the top of the ridge. We saw where they had stopped and browsed. Um, and then there was running tracks going off like the back of the ridge and off this like drop off and down again into another different like bottom area. And so we took some time and kind of like used that, you know, more, I guess, relaxed track, now the sprinting track to see what's going on. And we figured, okay, there's probably like two or three does. And then like we saw where he had kind of stopped with them, but just maybe 40, 50 yards away. And was browsing and you saw we saw tine marks in the snow so i'm like okay good we're still on him it's not a different buck because he was the only buck i was going to shoot so it'd be real bummer if we tracked this <laughs> buck all over the country for the whole day yeah. and walk up and it's you know some two-year-old it's like oh man especially since we couldn't make out the track and he didn't really have a a giant hoof print either that would have you know that you looked at and you said man that's a giant deer it was like i think that's a pretty good track but you know tough to say so we followed him and he ran with the does for maybe a half a mile and then he finally split off from them. And then that kind of was encouraging. And I think we may have pushed him a couple more times in that period. It was tough to say, but we basically got to a spot where we're like, okay, he is definitely separated from the does. And now he's starting to head back up into the high ground, up, you know, into the mountains a little more. And I just figured, okay, this is a good time to stop. Um, let him cool down, you know, think that he lost us and kind of go up high and start to do his thing. And I, I think that a lot of these bucks like to bet up high during the day and come down and look for does. Well, they'll of course look for does up high as well, but they'll come down and look for does in the bottom. I think uh, at night and they'll be in the bottom at night and then kind of make their way back up to bed, you know, at some point in the morning. So this made a lot of sense. And I was like, okay, this is encouraging. So we gave them about, I don't know, 30 to 40 minutes. And it was extremely difficult to sit there and wait. Cause I knew we had his track and it was right there. And I knew, you know, we couldn't wait that long because this is about noon, maybe 1230, and we don't have that much more light left. Um, I know midday, what are you talking about? You have the whole rest of the afternoon, but we still might have to track this buck for four miles. Right. So so it's really not that much time. Um, and it was we were starting to get cold because we're drenched in sweat from running this deer through, you know, two feet of snow. 
So anyway, we finally got back on his track. He started to climb. He slowed down. It was very encouraging. He got into some older, or I guess not as fresh doe tracks, probably made the night before during that two inches of snow. And so um, and he wasn't running them. He was just kind of following them, I think, trying to figure out what they were doing. And actually, we lost his track because I figured that we needed to slow down and just keep our eyes above. And we we're just kind of keeping our eyes on the deer tracks. And we we're following, you know, three or four sets scanning 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 we finally got to a point where we were looking at the tracks we're you know falling we're like his track's not here this isn't these aren't super fresh and so that was like oh man what happened did we lose more time like did we lose them so i ended up backtracking probably 300 yards and found where he had split off and he actually headed up again even higher and so we headed up higher after him and you got to an area that was like mature softwoods, like conifers, uh, spruce and hemlock. And it looked like a likely area for him to bed, but his track didn't indicate that he was about to bed. So a lot of times before these bucks will bed, they'll mill around. They're not, you know, going from A to B on a straight line. They slow down, they're browsing, um, and they're taking their time, but this buck just seemed to be going. So I kind of was like, I don't know if he's about to bed or he is. And I wasn't sure, but we snuck up anyway. And we got to, really this little plateau on the side of the mountain and sure enough there's just a super fresh bed um with a bunch of sign around it and his track in it and i'm like oh man we must have bumped him like uh, you know i'm disappointed again like how didn't we see him we this is an emotional roller coaster scanning, but yeah i really didn't have any idea how the day was gonna end um and then I look up out of the bed and there's another, you know, it starts to climb again. And I see running tracks. I'm like, yeah, we bumped them. I'm like, it's, you know, it's two o'clock now, two fifteen. We have like two hours of light left. Gets, you know, dark pretty early in the, on the East coast. So I like, oh, that's might be it, but we'll continue after him. Well, I, we only went about 20 more yards and I realized he must've just bounded up that embankment to get up, up it quicker, that little steep section. Cause he started walking again. And we could see his walking tracks for another 30, 40 yards. I was like, no, we didn't bump him. Like he, he's got to be right here. He just probably decided to position beds based on the wind or maybe browse around a little bit, whatever it was. And he was heading up to like kind of a ridge a point, I guess, on the mountain, basically a ridge point. So at that point I was really feeling like he's right here. Like I, I just, I think we have a really good shot. So we really took our time. We climbed maybe another hundred yards, extremely slowly. We got to the top. His tracks kind of went out to this point, kind of to my right. So I was scanning in that direction. And then all of a sudden, basically to our left, he had kind of made a loop. He was just standing there um, about 70 yards out, uh, kind of in the hemlocks. And uh, we had not very long to shoot. So I just basically pulled up on him, shot. And uh, I kind of recalled my rifle, it kind of got me off him. I couldn't see. And I just kind of disappeared. I saw like a flash of brown, maybe 10 yards to the right from where we were standing. And I kind of tried to clear some trees to see and maybe get another shot, but couldn't see much of anything. And then I saw kind of like anybody that's watched a deer tip over has seen it. It's kind of like a slow, like, you know, almost like a windmill action of like falling down. And I, yeah, yeah. of course it's through hemlocks and I don't know if for sure. And I'm of course doubting everything that I do thinking worst case, but I'm like, I think he just went down. So anyway, um, pretty exciting and still didn't know exactly i mean 99 percent sure it's him right but we i didn't have time to like identify that it actually was that buck yeah and you see a little bit of antler and a big body and you're like well it's gonna be him so you know i wasn't sure if he went down either so uh, you know we're sneaking up and there's a lot of big boulders in this area glacial deposited boulders that are like you know 
car to house size. So it's really neat up in that area. Um, I kind of came around one of them and I looked at it about 40 yards and I just see, you know, his right side sticking up out of the snow. Um, and there was no doubt it was him. So I was wow. pretty emotional moment for me, actually. I, it was just a lot of, you know, years of all that coming together. Um, and it really, it's the first mature buck that I've ever killed tracking. It's the first mature buck I've killed in New Hampshire in December. Um, it's actually the first mature buck I've ever killed a rifle as well. So it was kind of a really cool moment and, and maybe my oldest buck, depending on how old he ends up being. And I think maybe my biggest buck as well as, as far as antlers go. So wow. really a, a, a wild journey and, and an awesome, I think, you know, experience. Um, and it just was a really neat lot, lots of depth, I guess, to the, to the story. Oh, yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. So if you had to drill down to why this worked out, if you had to point to, all right, I think it was because of A and B that really led to me killing this deer. Um, what would those things be? I've got like two, two thoughts in my mind of what I think might've been the, the high level keys to success, but in your mind, what do you think? So I think obvious, I think, you know, obviously I tracked this deer and killed him with tracking without tracking. So I wouldn't have killed him on that day. I don't think, but I think that the reason I was able to find his track and identify that it was him just is because of historical data and running cameras and getting to know kind of what he does over the years. So that was a huge key because, like I said, I was after that buck and that buck only. So if I had seen his track without that picture, maybe I would have followed it. I don't think I would have followed it for, I think it ended up being four miles and five and a half hours. Um, I think we probably would have given up, especially since it was a challenging track because of, you know, how many times he was running with those in the deep snow. 
Um, I'm almost certain I would have given up to be honest with you because I just, I wouldn't have known I was saying my confidence level wouldn't have been there. I kind of would have been like, I think we're wasting our time here. Not to mention we're absolutely exhausted from climbing mountains and two feet of snow and 10 degree weather. So yeah. um, I think that's a, a huge key is just being familiar with his patterns, different times of the year, running cameras and getting that track. And then the next thing is obviously just, just getting a golden opportunity and like capitalizing on it, like recognizing that this is, this is a gift here, having his track, being able to to identify him and um, having fresh tracking snow. So really that's kind of the two things I think that were the biggest, the, the opportunity, recognizing it, getting that right condition. And then, you know, the knowledge and I guess back work and, you know, allowed me to get that picture to, to know that it's him. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so your, your scenario is pretty unique compared to maybe what a lot of other guys or girls are dealing with and that you're up in the mountains, you're in the big woods, big public land or whatever it was, uh, that, you know, it might be unique compared to what I'm dealing with here in Southern Michigan, but the basic concepts of what you did we're kind of right in line with what, you know, I might recommend someone do here on, you know, in Michigan, which would be in the late season in December, you want to gather Intel or use Intel from previous years to know the general region you should be looking and then be hyper-focused on what you can learn until the conditions or Intel tell you now is the right time to strike. And so for you, it was, you were gathering Intel over years, you folk hyper-focused on the smaller area you went in there with that fresh snow because that seemed to be a, a, a good opportunity. And then when you saw the track in the picture, you said, oh, now is the strike. Right now we have mm-hmm. to go for it. And lo and behold, it, it panned out. Um, now, yep. with that being the case in that unique situation, what else goes through your mind when you're hunting December 9th or December 19th or you know, late season in a different kind of scenario? Cause I know you have hunted all across the country. Um, what are some other things you're thinking about if you were trying to kill a late season buck somewhere else that wasn't in the mountains or wasn't on this huge scale of land? I think that, I mean, this is nothing like once again, that everybody hasn't probably heard a hundred times, but I think really late season there's, I'd say three factors. Well, four, if you will, I guess the fourth one is not, I guess a little bit different than the, the a different category in the first three, but I think one is a pressure, you know, area that hasn't been pressured. So you want to find areas that there hasn't been a lot of gun pressure um, or maybe sanctuaries where there's no hunting, whatever, where deer feel comfortable still moving in daylight. Um, you want to find uh, food hundred percent, even if even late in the rut, I think food's a big deal. Uh, if it's not for the bucks that are, that are, you know, looking for does late rut it's a big deal for the does because winter's coming um i guess the last one would be does and some of the late late does coming in i've had seen actually surprisingly good second rut and maybe even late first rut activity into december across the country not just in the northeast so if you can find areas low pressures a lot of dough a lot of does and and, you know a high quality food source you're going to be i'd say that's your best bet better than any other um yeah, but even with those things, late season can be really challenging and it can be discouraging as well. Um, and I haven't had a ton of success late season. I think unless you have a really big, you know, food source with, you know, almost no pressure the whole year and you get some really dramatic weather conditions, it's, it's tough. 
but uh, those are the things I, I look for. And then and the last thing, of course, is weather. That would be, I guess, the fourth factor is, is you want to watch the weather. The more severe, the better. Um, whatever's pushing these deer to eat. Um, and that's actually one of the things that surprised me about this buck is, is the weather was pretty severe. I mean, we're talking single digits, teens, two feet of snow, November or December 7th after this buck's been running for six weeks. And he's still chasing those like a maniac. And it's, to me, that was like, I, I don't know that this buck wouldn't have run himself to death. Like he was skin and bones when I walked up on him, he was like nothing wow. left of him. So I don't know that he maybe wouldn't have made that transition to food, you know, in the next week, or I don't know, maybe there was a hot dough that day or a fawn that came in. It's tough to say, you know, I don't know what the circumstance was, but, right. um, so yeah, those are, those are really what I look for. How consistently doesn't matter where I am. Yeah. How consistently do you see that second rut? Is that a thing you count on every year or is it uh, a little more touch and go? It's uh, what I would, I kind of approach is I look for all the other factors and then maybe that's a little, little wild card sprinkled in that might get a buck that you haven't seen in daylight moving. Yeah. Um, so like I wouldn't bank on it. I, I don't hunt it like the rut, hunt it like a late season hunt and then hope that, maybe that fawn or that late doe, uh, brings a pile of bucks. And I actually had that happen in Ohio a couple of years back. I was just hunting a food source and seeing a lot of deer. And then all of a sudden I was like, all oh, hell broke loose. And, you know, there's like three mature bucks that came in on, um, I think a fawn. I don't I actually don't know. Cause it happened so fast. And I assume it was a fawn. It was mid December, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of the wild card that can also stack your odds in the favor. And that's actually kind of why I like mid December, for late season hunting because you have that stacked in your favor as well you know early december can be good or late december or january but i feel like that you know right around december 15th especially in the midwest can be a really good time because you have kind of all those factors in your favor right so it's like probably maybe one of my other than maybe like opening week and the peak of the rut it's probably like my third favorite period to to hunt now one of the tricks with hunting that time of year like you said food's really important but sometimes picking the right food or the right place on the food um, yep. can be the detail that makes the difference between, you know, seeing a buck and shooting the buck or, you know, seeing it at all. Um, what are some of the top food sources you would key in on in the late season or secondarily, my question would be, how do you pick uh, the right food source, maybe they're in an area where there's multiple food sources around. How do you go about trying to fine tune, you know, the right place to be on December 15th when there's multiple options? Yeah, it's, it's that's a, a tricky one because I think that is so dependent on your particular area and what you got going on. Um, sometimes, you know, it's beans, it's corn. Sometimes I've seen clover. Like right now, I have a property that I manage in New Hampshire and I have standing beans and corn and we have snow and cold and they're on clover. Don't know why digging through huh. two feet of snow to get clover. That's where the activity's at. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ever predicted that. Um, and if you don't have any of that type of thing, which most of our area doesn't, um, and you're in maybe some of the lower elevations, uh, white and red, uh, oaks, that's a, a really safe bet. Self-facing stuff. Um, but a lot of the areas that I'm hunting, when you get higher in the mountains, the I guess the oaks aren't as prevalent. So you're looking for browse um, and even stuff like I actually, I was kind of mentioned those boulders that are in this area. They grow a lot of ferns and moss on them. And I've seen a lot of acti activity late in the season on that, even like eating moss and ferns off the side of boulders. Like that <laughs> seems to be a 
a bit of a drawing card. But I would say that, you know, regardless of what the actual food source is, the, what you need to do is figure out in your area at that time what's going on. So I think really being using all your clues, um, if you can glass or see anything, uh, do that, like get out and watch, see what the majority of the activity is at before you, you know, make a plan to hunt. Uh, if you can't glass, which is most of, you know, New England, the big woods, uh, and you got snow, look for tracks and snow. That's, you know, you can learn so much by doing that. Run cameras, see, you know, what the highest density of deer is. The th- other thing that I think is interesting for late season is I don't seem to get regular pictures of, of bucks. Seems like I get, I just don't think they're moving as much, maybe. Um, and when they do move, it's more A to B, and they may just walk, be not be walking by the camera. But it seems like I'll get, like, just the frequency of that deer on the cameras drops off dramatically late season. But I still think he's still in that area. So I don't know. I've, I've thought about that a lot. Not sure exactly why that is, but, um, so I wouldn't be discouraged if like the deer isn't there all the time. Yeah. Um, he still might be in there just maybe not moving as much and walking around, checking scrapes, you know, right. curious about everything. So yeah, they've been hunted for a while and, and both mm-hmm. are trying to avoid hunters and probably conserve energy as the winter approaches right. too. So that, that makes a yep. lot of sense. Um, you, you brought up a good point though, about not getting discouraged. Once you get into yep. December or, you know, in states where you can hunt in January too, you've been going at it for a long time. And if you're still out there, it might be because you haven't filled the tag yet. Uh, right. There's going to be some mental mental uh, burnout probably going on. How do you or how Absolutely. would you recommend folks just kind of push through that? Or how, do, how have you ever tried to – I mean, I got to believe even in your situation, you had this huge rut oh, yeah. push and then it gets to, you know, it's yep. almost mid-December and you still haven't killed him and you were probably feeling some of that too. Yeah, I know. I mean, for sure. I was talking to my buddies, you know, all year about this deer and, you know, after the rut, they're like, you're going to get them. And I'm just like, man, probably not. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm going to try, but like my chances aren't great. I was like, honestly, like I, I he's probably either going to make it another year, hopefully, or, or maybe die this winter type deal. But, uh, yeah, it's super discouraging. And it's, I mean, for the most part, your chances may be as low as it's been all year. So yeah, you just have to, but what, what can you control? You can't control that. You're in that situation. So stay positive. Just do everything you can. Be persistent and hope that, you know, something goes your way. That's all you can do. It's deer hunting. And, you know, if it doesn't go your way, then it doesn't. And you get a tag and it's not the end of the world. It's always next year. And I think most of us aren't doing this because we're going to start to get death over the winter if we don't get a deer, you know. So, I mean, it, it's sometimes it's, that's just that's the, the name of the game, I guess. Sometimes you you don't fill that tag and that's okay. That doesn't, I mean, I haven't filled one in the last two years and I've put a bunch of time in. So, I mean, it's, it's just the way that it is. And I think if you stay positive and take that outlook that, Hey, I'll just, if I don't get them this year, I'll just pick right up on them next year and, and use what I learned this year to, to get after them. But, uh, you know, you get to realize all it takes is one dramatic weather event to get that deer to move in daylight. And he walks out when you haven't seen him all year or, you know, you haven't had a chance in all year and there he is, he's dead. Or, or like I said, one fawn that comes in and he comes flying out of, off a ridge and out of nowhere and you just killed the bucket after all year. And five minutes before, you're like, yeah, there's like no shot. I'm killing this deer. You know, you're feeling down on yourself. So I would just keep that in mind. I mean, there's not really much you can do. So I just say you, you think about it, have a solid plan, uh, stay positive, and that's all you can do. And just be kind of proud and satisfied that you – 
you know, fought the good fight and, yeah. and maybe didn't hurt. But that's that's just that's stunning, you know. That's it doesn't always go your way. Sometimes we get this uh this idea in our heads or this image from what we see uh, you know, in some of the really good places that guys are hunting, uh that, you know, it's just everybody kills a big buck every year and it's just not the case. It's not the reality for most people, even yeah. the guys that put in a ton of time. So I mean and, and really I don't think it should be about that. Um it should be about the journey. And I, I, I was talking to my buddy when we were tracking and I said, Hey, I'm not, it's not going to be the end of the world if we don't kill this deer today. Like I, I hope, I hope that if we don't, that he makes another year and I get to the story continues. And I really am fascinated by, you know, the journey or the, the, the story and the progression of the year over the years and learning about him. I, I think that, you know, without a four year story, this deer, I mean, it's a big deer, but without a four year story, he wouldn't mean, you know, a, anywhere close to what it means to me now. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it is. Uh, and that's how the approach I took the last two years because I was after, you know, him and another one and it just didn't happen. So I was like, well, next year, I'm, I can't wait for next year. So you know, I, I would just stay optimistic and look through the future. And if it yeah. happens, it happens. Yeah. Enjoying that journey. That's, that's one of the things mm-hmm. when it, when it gets to the late season for me, I always have this slight shift in mindset. Um, and maybe this isn't good when I de- when I describe what I'm like before, but when I'm in November, I'm usually a little bit stressed out because there's all this mm-hmm. expectation. Like this is when it's supposed to happen. This is the best chance right. all year. This is the Super Bowl. The stakes are highest. Right. Your opportunity is is now. And if it doesn't happen now, it might not happen again at all. So I, I tend to find myself really excited, but also stressed a little bit during that time period, which is just kind of my nature. Um, mm-hmm. Once I get into December though, I've had to have like a, a mental switch where I shift from, okay, now it might not happen. Right. I mean, things are getting harder right. and harder. More and more of these deer have been killed during gun season. My opportunities are less. Um, that doesn't mean they can't, it can't still come together, but I have this little shift where I go from stressing because I have to get it done to now, you know, it might not happen, but that's okay. And, and looking back on this season. And so when I'm on these late season hunts, I've come to really enjoy this time of year because it's all gravy now. Now I've kind of said, all right, you've had a season, you've, you've had all these great times, these cool encounters. Um, you've learned new things, just enjoy it, just milk it for what it is. Cause the season's going to be done here in a matter of days or weeks. And you're going to mm-hmm. wish that it was hunting season again. So I tend to find myself doing a better job of looking up at the sky and the sun setting or, or paying attention mm-hmm. to the little fawn running around and just enjoying that. And, and yeah, I'm still going to have a smart plan. Yeah. I'm still going to be trying to get that deer. Um, but like you said, whether it happens or not, life's still pretty darn good. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with you know, what you just said there. I think late season is a great time for reflection and just appreciating you know, the journey you have. Why do you kill a deer or not? Like if you, I mean, Everybody, like I said, it does it for a different reason. But if you're out there just because you want to kill an animal and notch a tag, like, I don't know, that's fine. But you may want to take a step back and think about why you're doing it. I mean, I really just love spending time outside, pursuing these animals, thinking, you know, I I like this journey. That's that's what I like. And at the end of the year, you can look back and be like, man, look at the season I had. Maybe I didn't kill this buck. Look what I learned. Look at the encounters I had. Like, that was fun. I got to spend time outdoors. I got to do what I love and, and, you know, and Hey, I learned this this year and I'm going to work hard in the off season and put this into play. And next year, I think that's going to put me over the top and it's yeah. going to 
you know, put, put the odds in my favor. And then you, you have that anticipation starts to build again and, you know, just do it all over again. So I think that's what I like the best about, about this whole, whole gig. And, you know, if you kill a deer, awesome. But I mean, there's also the thing I I killed this buck and I'm, he's not there anymore though. Yeah. So next year I don't get to look forward to what's he going to be? What's he going to look like? Yeah, it's Grow, a little sad. Smaller, what's he doing? Yeah, so he's not there anymore, and that's kind of a a letdown too. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, sometimes I'm not upset that these deer get away and they make it to another year, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. If if, if you're getting stressed, like just try to maybe take that perspective or mindset and think about it that way, and it may help you enjoy your time more and enjoy the, the process and the journey. Yeah, that's what it's all about right there. Got to gotta make sure to never get so serious or never get so worked up about it that it takes the joy out of it. Um, right. So, man, well, this is fun, and it's encouraging to hear your story because, you know, there's probably a lot of other people, myself included, uh, still trying not to tag and to hear how you pulled it off after years and years of following the steer around and it all came together. I think that can give us all a little bit of hope that maybe the stars can align for us too. So thank you for sharing that Brett and sharing the process that you went through and, and, uh, and what led to this success. It was really interesting and holy smokes. If, if you guys haven't seen this deer that Brett, uh, got a shot at, you got to check it out over on Instagram, uh, or where, where Brett should folks go if they want to see what you're up to now or the different projects you've got coming in the future. Is there any place you want to direct people towards? Right now, if they just go to my Instagram, they can still, you know, see that. And then whatever projects that I got coming out, I got a few things we're working on. that should be coming out this summer, this, or this coming summer. Um, including the story of this buck, but, uh, my Instagram is just Brett joy 22. So bizarre joi 22. You can check me out there and I don't post like crazy, but I do post occasionally and keep people updated on what I'm, what I'm up to. Perfect. All right. Well, I will, uh, I'll make sure to share that with folks and man, thank you for taking the time to share all this with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And like I said, there's a lot of season left for a lot of guys and stay positive and enjoy your time out there. Fingers crossed. I'll have a good story for you soon, Brett. I hope so. Good luck. Thank you. And that is going to do it. Another episode in the books. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. I hope it gave you just a little bit more hope for those late season hunts. Keep after it. Good things can still happen. I will hopefully have news for you soon with my own late season hunts. I will tell you though, as late season hunting starts wrapping up, reading season begins for me. I'm out there grabbing some new books. I love a good book by the fire when it's cold outside. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that That Wild Country, my new book, is out there. It's for sale on Amazon or wherever else you want to find books. And it would mean the world to me if you pick up a copy. Thanks in advance. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank, 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.